This episode was co-produced by Startup Days, a yearly matchmaking event in Switzerland for startups, investors, corporates, and other key players. Check out startupdays.ch to learn more about this year's edition, taking place in Bern on May 25th. Again, that's startupdays.ch. A lot of people, they always forget, I invest in a startup and in one, two years, it's a unicorn and I make millions, right? This is not the case, right? I mean, we have to be honest also, uh, also to the listener here, right? More than 90% of the startups, they fail. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Philip, very well, welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. You're the co-founder and COO at Leva, the tech stack for the venture capital industry. Before we talk about venture as an asset class or startups as an asset class, we want to have a look at your CV. Whoever would look at your resume would have guessed or would have thought that you were on the way to become a very successful lawyer. But here you are today in the startup world. So what happened? <laughs> well, I have not become a successful lawyer, <laughs> that for sure. Um, yes, uh, I also, when uh, I saw my own CV, I realized I should have become a lawyer. Uh, this is also the career path that I uh, intended to choose when I went to the university in St. Gallen. Uh, but in the end, I started law and economics because I always thought law itself is too boring. Um, now, everybody that is a friend of mine and is a lawyer is going to hate me after they're going to see this. Um, but I also, had, also was this interdisciplinary connection between mm -hmm. economy and uh, legal. Uh, and in the end, I have this entrepreneurial mindset. I always think outside of the box. Uh, always trying to find solution on a pragmatic way, uh, not just follow the act because the act says what somebody should do. Um, we'll go into that a bit deeper later on. Uh, but the decision in the end was pretty easy. Uh, the decision was to join the law firm uh, mm -hmm. fully or then my co-founder Cosimo called me and said, Philip, uh, we need to get away from the blockchain. We go back into the regulated environment. Mm -hmm. Do you want to join this adventure? And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Cosimo, I know you more than 15 year, for 15 years. Uh, so uh, the decision was then easy. I wanted to make a change uh, in the environment. And this is easier as an entrepreneur than as a lawyer. I guess so. Absolutely. Was this interdisciplinary thinking or area also what then sparked your interest in joining Leva or what was the the point that really got your interest to join Leva? Absolutely. Um, so Leva uh, back then uh, was on the blockchain, mm -hmm. uh, trying really to solve exactly what we still do, uh, but uh, with those buzzwords, blockchain, ICO and all the like. And uh, what got me interested there was what they wanted to achieve back then. Mm -hmm. And it's democratizing the access to the asset class of uh, venture capital. On the blockchain, super easy. Everybody like cowboy style uh, does sure. however they want. Uh, but they were they saw they were just too early for the market. People mm -hmm. did not know what it is, especially most sophisticated investor. They also stated too much 
regulatory tax-wise uncertainty. So the decision was taken to go back into the regulated work, and that was for me like the challenge, right? Going to regulated work, but keeping the DNA and core of Leva when it was on the blockchain, right? So everybody can use Leva, uh, no matter if you have financial license or not. And uh, obviously, uh, you know the financial markets. I guess there's no market that has more regulation. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was the challenging part where I saw it was, okay, let's crack that one. Let's legal engineer something out of it. And uh, this got me interested in joining Leva at the end. That sounds like a very, very big challenge to solve, but also a really exciting one. So now, three years on, how would you describe the startup journey? Oh, God. <laughs> Where to start? Well, okay. Late so, night podcast me, interviews. Yes. <laughs> a roller coaster ride, I would say, with a, a lot of ups and downs, uh, but obviously more ups than downs. Um, I don't want to lie. Uh, you know, there are uh, downs uh, where you face problems, uh, where you didn't even know where problems exist, mm -hmm. either be it in your own company, people management, right? You come from university, you don't get those knowledge with you. How do you treat people? How do you manage people? Which is super important in a startup, uh, especially when you're small in the beginning. Um, but also, to be honest, the highs, they are high, right? Sure. It's like endorphins, <laughs> like in thousands on thousands on levels. And this is uh, what also keeps me up waking every morning and to go and join the startups. So uh, what did we do? We pivot away from the blockchain to a regulate market, normally on-chain, because we understood you don't need blockchain for what uh, we're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. Then uh, all those achievements that we gained, right? Uh, we received uh, the confirmation that when we, what we want to achieve is possible, even though all the law firms said it's not possible, save the money, right? A yeah. huge achievement when we got uh, the request, uh, the results from FEMA that we are allowed to do what we do and mm -hmm. we can serve the market. Uh, then the top 10, uh, one of the best fintech in Switzerland and the top 100. Uh, so a lot of achievements, which you can just celebrate with the team. Of course. So also after a 12 or 13 hour work, right? Or 14, 15, staying in the office late. This is what keeps us up. So uh, a roller coaster would describe it the best, I would say. I, I fully agree. <laughs> Even though I'm super scared of roller coasters, but <laughs> it would describe the best. You don't ride them. You have them in your life already. Yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So today we do want to talk about venture capital as an asset class. And, you know, the stock market has had better days than what we see now in March 2023. Mm -hmm. We just entered a crypto winter, sort of. Mm -hmm. So are startups the future of investing? Um, they are definitely uh, the future of the investing uh, in sort of, if we talk of alternative asset classes. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the venture capital is definitely one of those alternative effort classes that will increase a lot uh, in the future. I don't want to bore you with numbers, um, but is it the sole asset class? Uh, my answer is no, uh, sure. because you should not put all the eggs in one basket, yeah. right? Um, but it will become definitely more important. And um, you know this, you have a lot of startups uh, on your podcast. Uh, the problems with startups, right, is where do you start by evaluating what is a startup? <laughs> How good is a startup? Is it really yeah. good for my per portfolio, right? And there, obviously, the first challenges come, especially when you're uh, a freshly new investor uh, or on the founder side, you're raising funds, uh, right? You have zero clue what to do. Um, but I would say yes, uh, definitely. 
And if you look at it from a risk profile, you know, we know stocks are vo volatile, so they go up and down. You have bonds that are a bit more stable in normal conditions. So is investing in startups, is that more risky? So I need to make advi advertisement for the whole startup economy. No, it's not. No, it's uh, super risky. It's super risky. Uh, you know, it depends on which stage the startup is. Um, right. You know, you have early stage startups, you have seed stage startups, series A, B, C, D, right? Uh, I don't know if you even call them startups anymore. Uh, so it depends, first of all, in which stage, right? Mm -hmm. Then obviously in which industry you're in, uh, there are startups where uh, the risk is higher, right? For example, if you're really groundbreaking new technology, new approaches, uh, the risks are higher than, let's say, plain vanilla. I don't know. I want to bring new sockets out, right? Sure. Um, so you need to evaluate, obviously, uh, the whole uh, investment as such as every uh, investment uh, you do, uh, but it definitely belongs to the more risky uh, as a classes. But that has room in a portfolio because you are looking for a balanced portfolio with different asset classes. Absolutely. I mean, um, if you look at the average, right, uh, in Europe, I think you have a 5 to 20 percentage of mm -hmm. your assets uh, should be invested in alternative asset classes, right? Yeah. Uh, now, you can also start with startup and say, this is my sole alternative asset class, and then you grow. Mm -hmm. uh, in the US, I think it's more than 50 percent, uh, wow. which is invested in alternative asset classes. So it's definitely a must because also it has become easier, right? Uh, especially also in Switzerland, mm -hmm. uh, startups. Also, my grandmother now understands what a startup is. Uh, but it does not solve then to decide which startup is the best to invest, sure. right? Um, so absolutely, for a portfolio diversification, absolutely needed, as well as all other asset classes uh, that you find. And also just a quick disclaimer, what we're giving here is, of course, no investment advice. We just oh, have yeah, very good. <laughs> a conversation amongst friends for informational and entertainment yes. purposes. Uh, yes, uh, we're not doing any financial advertisement. I know you got the lawyer me. Uh, uh, this is no public offering that we're doing here. Uh, you see, now already the challenges come, right? Course, yeah. um, and these are all those small pitfalls, right? Uh, that either yeah. as an investor or somebody providing deals to investor as a founder, which you are challenged with. Yeah. Um, absolutely. But nevertheless, let's say I want to start to invest in startups, mm -hmm. right? Are there any legal requirements for me to become a business angel and really start to invest in startup companies here in Switzerland? Um, so legal requirements as such, uh, as maybe our jurisdiction know, uh, we don't have. Mm -hmm. um, I would, to be honest, also be a bit stupid if you would put like legal requirements on investing into startups. Um, it's more like people that maybe uh, distribute uh, deal flows that might uh, have legal requirements, uh, depending what kind of asset class you have. So startup directly, no, right? But mm -hmm. if you have, for example, a VC fund that invests into uh, startups, those are usually structured in Luxembourg. Then you need a license to distribute them in Switzerland, right? So there, only accredited investors, for example, are allowed uh, to invest. Again, I'm not going to bore you with the number what an accredited investor is, but there is this diversification between yeah. that. Um, and I would say to start, uh, it's just the right mindset uh, that you need, right? Uh, you need to know it's a high-risk class um, of asset class that you're investing in. Uh, there's information asymmetry, right? There's mm -hmm. no public information about the value of a startup, uh, the revenue. Uh, then it's also guessing, right? Uh, a bit, do you believe in what they do, the stage, the earlier you invest, 
you invest in the team, you don't really invest in the company, right? right. Um, so there's all things that you need to consider. Then either you follow a group of people that already have done this, a mm -hmm. community, uh, syndicates or uh, investment vehicles or financial advisors. I mean, yeah. there are so many out there now nowadays. Yeah. Uh, so if you start, you should definitely join one of those groups also to get a bit of learning of what is a startup and why should I invest in startups. I like that, that you said that it's more of a mindset thing. There are no legal requirements to get started, but it's really the mindset to put in a good yep. place to start, basically. Yeah, and also I forgot what well, you need to have a long breath, right? I, because a lot of people, yeah. they always forget. I invest in a startup and in one, two years, it's a unicorn and I make millions, right? This not is not happen. the case, right? I mean, we have to be honest also uh, also to the listener here, right? More than 90% of the startups, they fail, right? right. So uh, you should invest money that you are allowed to lose. Uh, but this money that you might invest might help a startup mm -hmm. to be the next disruptive thing, right? Sure. And this should like incentivize you to invest. Yeah. It's really pushing those startups in finding new ways to really push the boundaries, going into new markets, finding new disruptive ways on how to solve things and not to make money. This is, should not be yeah. your first motivation, to be honest. There are other things to invest in. Right. Your first motivation is money. And, and talk about an investment strategy, you know, even in startup investments, mm -hmm. there can be a strategy, of course, or yeah. probably even should be. Yeah. So <laughs> what, what are good components to, to look at when you are setting your own strategy? Should you look at industries? Should you look at geographies? Should you look at the stage that you want to invest in? What should be the, the strategy or components to consider when setting your personal strategy? So when you said so your personal one, uh, it's definitely two things. Uh, your risk tolerance that you need to look first and your mm -hmm. financial situation before yeah. you even look at all those uh, things that you mentioned. Now, let's assume you are you have a bit of uh, funds that you can place uh, in, uh, in the year. Uh, then I would just invest in things that you're really interested right? Um, when you get interested, you also read about it. You yeah. read articles, you read blog posts, you listen to podcasts, you get to know also the whole industry. So industry that you're interested in. At the stage, if you have friends uh, that uh, now are raising funds for a startup, right? I would always support, obviously, first my close environment. Sure. Uh, so obviously, Keep also touch uh, to people that are really also trying to go the entrepreneurial way mm -hmm. um, on the stage itself, um, later stage, early stage, doesn't really matter. To I mean, that is your risk tolerance, It's right? the risk tolerance, yeah. exactly. Uh, I would say the earlier, the more risky, right? right. Um, yeah. The later, then also the returns might be lower. Sure. Uh, from a geographic perspective, you have you might have regulations that stop you, right, yeah. to invest across uh, the globe. Um, but if you don't have them, uh, I would just invest in every country which is possible. You think the next uh, big thing will happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is really upon you. Or if you don't have an investment strategy, you don't know what to do. It's your first time. I, again, I would just join a community of like-minded people like that will bring you to experience this mm -hmm. investing part. If it's now for startup investing or other asset classes, you learn, right? Exactly. Uh, and then those people might have a strategy. Yeah. Or oh, they don't have a strategy, but the common swarm knowledge, right, has a strategy. And yeah. this is a good thing. I like what you said about the personal interest, because this sounds very familiar to starting your own business. I think you have a huge advantage if you have the intrinsic motivation. And you also will have much more knowledge and understanding about that topic. So 
whether you're starting a business in that area or you want to invest in that area, if it's something that is close to your heart that you deeply care about, that's probably a very good starting point. Absolutely. I mean, it's in startups or if you buy a car or whatever it is, <laughs> right? Yeah. You do better decision the more you are informed. Sure. Uh, now we have a lot of tools that help you, but the intrinsic motivation is the one that it is. And it's like if you just do it with passion or you invest in things you like, you will definitely make less mistakes if you invest in things where you have zero clue what it is. Of course. Right. Yeah. So absolutely. I would completely sign this. You said you, you need to have a bit of money to invest, obviously. Yeah. But is there any certain ticket size that you should consider per startup investment that you plan to do? Is there any such thing as a minimum ticket size, mm -hmm. a best ticket size, or also a maximum ticket size that you should set yourself as a limit? I know this is very individual, but just wondering if there are any... Yeah, perfect. It is very individual. Um, so don't invest more than you can afford to lose. So this yeah. is like the main rule in Number every one. investment, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, then there are two ways, right? The mm -hmm. minimum ticket is usually defined by the startup, right? Yeah. So they define what is the minimum ticket that can be 10,000, 100,000, 500,000 or millions. Mm -hmm. uh, depending if they, for example, went through a crowdfunding platform, you also might be able to invest 100 uh, Swiss francs, right? Of course. Um, so this comes from the startup. Uh, then, depending if you join communities, uh, syndicates, or investment groups or investment clubs, right? They have their own um, minimal right. ticket, right? Um, to be honest, if you have a bit uh, funds on your side, I'm not talking about being the millionaire. I talk the average uh, person, right? I mean, uh, like 5,000, 5,000 is a good starting point, right? Uh, and those 5,000 you can distribute among uh, a few startups or in, yeah. in several startups. Uh, I mean, here it's really depending how much funds you have. Of course. But 5,000, I would say, is a good one. But I guess you will not enter serious startup with a 5,000 ticket. Yeah. So you need to somehow find other people to pool and group all those mini tickets yeah. into a one big ticket. Luckily, there are solutions out there Luckily, to make there that happen. there are solutions out there. Before you said 90% of the startups fail. Yeah. So what does that mean to me as an investor for my portfolio? Does that mean that I should at least invest in 10 companies <laughs> within the first year yeah. or two? Or what is your recommendation there? Um, yes, uh, the broader diversification, the better it is. Uh, so if you just take uh, my number, don't take this for granted. Like, But if we say 90 to 10, then yeah, I mean, it's easy math. Do 10 right. investment and <laughs> one will happen, right? Hopefully. Uh, hopefully. I always say hope is not a strategy. Yeah. Um, and you, I just ask, right? Uh, investment <laughs> strategy, so hope is not a good thing in the investment part. Um, but I would say... If you start within a year, go for like maybe five, start with five, mm -hmm. then increase this. And then, as you said, start to diversify, right? Start to diversify maybe also industries, right? Yeah. Uh, let's say now, for example, the, the fintech sector at the moment, or bank sector, right? Mm -hmm. After what happened last weekend, yeah. maybe not the best uh, sector to invest in. Now, if you have all your money in startups uh, that are uh, involved in that industry, uh, and then you look at the values, uh, maybe they're going to drop, right? So mm -hmm. it's not good. So also there, start to diversify in the industries, maybe also in uh, seed stages, later stages, and then obviously don't forget the other asset classes. Makes sense. Now, there are also different legal structures that you can invest in, right? In Switzerland, if you talk about startups, usually and hopefully <laughs> there's a limited or an incorporated company or yeah. GmbH or AG. Always a good sign. <laughs> exactly, hopefully. Otherwise, uh, that's a big red flag that you should probably run away from. Do you have a preference there from an investor perspective? Because they are different. Yeah, 
Um, so if you want to have anonymity, uh, it's clear you need to go for the AG. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's no other way around. It also gives a certain proficiency to Absolutely. outside, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you have more flexibility on how also you're going to fundraise. Uh, you have a more strict governance. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, this is true. But um, now with the new Aktienrechtsreform, I don't even know how to say this in English. Sure. Uh, uh, with this year's also there, you have a lot, a lot of uh, flexibility that comes into the Swiss legal system. Mm-hmm. But it takes 100,000 uh, to start an AG or if you don't fully liberate like 50,000, but yeah. it's not really a good idea, right? Um, sure. Then you have the GmbH. If you need less money, you can yeah. easily start. Uh, maybe if you don't have external funding yet, right? Uh, so you don't have shareholders that need yeah. a nominee. So it's just the founders mm-hmm. that are anyhow known that they own shares, right? Sure. Then you maybe start with a GmbH. Yeah. Um, and then you convert it into an AG later on. Yeah. Uh, so here is really how much funds do you have in the beginning? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe also how sure are you in the vision that you want to bring forward, yeah. right? Do you want to burn directly one on the K or is it more right. than 20K? Um, so maybe these are the well, ideas. It's pretty clear from an investor perspective, H is probably the way to go. Yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely go because just imagine investing also in a GmbH mm-hmm. and you need to convert. There's again yeah. something on the investor type we need to do. Then you have shareholder agreements here, shareholder agreements there. It's just too complex, right? Yeah. Uh, the problem right, that founders choose for GmbH right, is another one. It's just too costly to set course, up an yeah. AG, right? Five times again, more. Kill, lawyers are going to kill me, right? They just... <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, <laughs> right? They just earn too much on incorporating uh, companies because, yeah. to be honest, I've done this job, right? This is just... You take a paper out to start. You don't need like this rocket setup of an AG. It is yeah. enough and this does not cost a fortune. So if we can lower the those barriers, mm-hmm. maybe even digitizing it. There were some motions, right, into digitize uh, the whole setup of an entity like uh, other countries know it. Uh, it will definitely make it easier. And yeah. then I hope to see more AGs uh, because it gives just more flexibility. 100%. So the take is pretty clear on the legal form. Mm-hmm. Another thing that is probably not that clear is the valuation part, right? This is always <laughs> a huge discussion between the founders and the investors. Yeah. And many say... The valuation is actually a bit more art than science. How do you see that? How do you reach the right and fair valuation if such a thing even exists? Well, if you would have asked this question two or three years ago, <laughs> <laughs> I would have said like valuation is just a gambling, right? right. Um, I mean, look at the valuation of the startups uh, three, four years ago, right? Sure. I mean, it's just nonsense. Yeah. Uh, they were just shooting out numbers and people were paying, uh, VCs were paying it because the money was there. Yeah. And what kind of situation are we now? You see more down rounds, right? Mm-hmm. Than people doing like a high valuation the next round. This is bad yeah. for the founders. This is bad for the investors, right? For the motivation as such. So aiming always for high valuation is not the best. Mm-hmm. Now, you turn back to your question, is it art? I would say yes, uh, it is partially art uh, because there are a lot of ways how to value uh, mm-hmm. your company, right? Um, uh, the, the normal valuation methods, uh, methodology that you use, um, then you need to also maybe do comparison with other uh, industries, mm-hmm. with uh, your competitors. Uh, then you start to freak out because you see, well, they're valued that, that much, they raise yeah. this much. Um, so it's a combination of both, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, it's more art in the startup world, I would say. Sure. Why? Because in the, you need to convince the investors, right, that yeah. what you're selling yeah. is really worth 
today or tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. But especially the team. Um, so in the beginning, you're just evaluating the team, right? You're not yeah. evaluating the company. It's really evaluating the people, how they work together. Yeah. And this is pretty difficult to do because no one out there tells you how to validate this. Mm-hmm. I can value the revenue streams, uh, discounted cash flow, sure. all those things. Yeah. But how people work together, how do you value this? Yeah. Right. Um, so it is definitely an art, uh, in my opinion, uh, but has also a bit science uh, behind, um, but it's more art, I would say. And in the end, it's also supply and demand, right? If you have Absolutely. a lot of investors interested in your team or yeah. your case, you can sort of dictate the term to a certain degree. If yeah. that's not the case, you probably have to accept lower valuations because otherwise you just don't find any investors. So that's probably a bit... Absolutely. Your economic field that you're interested about, the supply and demand, very simple. In the end, it's super simple, right? Uh, the better your idea is, the better your team is, the better you convince investor, the higher valuation you receive. What I hear, for example, I hate to read this on LinkedIn, right? Mm-hmm. When people say we got overfunded. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, then you just miscalculated your value. Mm-hmm. Because how can you become overfunded <laughs> if you did this job correctly, the demand supply right. and the art, right? Uh, and I don't have zero clue why people celebrate this because it just means, guys, you left money on the street sure. because there were other people willing to invest. Your valuation was too low. Yeah. Most My likely. bid was too low. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The terms were too easy. Right. Um, but you left money and fun on the streets yeah. that maybe now with infla- uh, inflation, uh, with the war and everything, yeah. with the crisis of the Credit Suisse, Maybe it would be good that you uh, did not lose the two or three on the K. Of course. Uh, so you should definitely take this also seriously, right? Uh, I mean, we're laughing, um, but in the end, you're raising funds to then also uh, be able to visualize and realize your vision. And in the end, you need also to pay the people that work with you, of right? Course. Yeah. Uh, yourself uh, and the funds, they don't come from trees. Yeah. That, that's also a thing, you know, talking about LinkedIn or the celebrations, just celebrating a fundraising round yeah. per se. Yeah. I mean, sure, you can see that as a milestone, but I think the real message there is, guys, you just took on a huge bet. Now it's time to go to work and to deliver. You can celebrate when you executed and hit the milestone that you were promising to investors that invested and took that leap of faith, right? Then you can go out and celebrate and say, hey, we hit the plan, we executed well, well done, great job team. But uh, the fundraising round itself, it's like, okay, head down and work. Look, uh, <laughs> you're here to uh, you're poaching a notch at myself. Uh, we're in a society that celebrates everything. Of course. Yeah. Uh, the sun is out, uh, best day of my life, right? Yeah. Uh, next day, another sun is out, best day of my life again, <laughs> right? Uh, so we lost a bit also to value exactly what is success and not. And sure, from a startup, doing a fundraising in every stage is difficult, uh, especially now in the environment we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are currently, we did ourselves the fundraising, right? The first tranche it was super difficult, right? A challenging question. It's not like here we have a big vision. Yeah, yeah. Here, take the money and burn it. Right. No, it's like, okay, but where's the profitability? Yeah. How do you get there, right? There are all questions that you did not really have five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say... It's correct what you say. Uh, you can celebrate the fundraising, right? That you achieved sure. the goal, but then get back to work. Now people trusted you, right? That yeah. you and your team will get to that vision that you promised, right? Yeah. And uh, then uh, celebration, yeah, party one night and then get back to work, I would say. Time to deliver, <laughs> exactly. Time to deliver. <laughs> now, I don't want to go in, into the terms, you know, 
negotiating term sheets yep. or all of that part. But one thing I would like to do is to name just a few of the strange terms mm -hmm. that people who might look at venture capital as an asset class for yep. the first time might just have never heard of. Yeah, sure. One very common one is the convertible loan. <laughs> what is that? The convertible loan, or maybe uh, you also heard CLA or uh, Vanderdalen or convertible note, uh, yeah. and then uh, Kiss Safe and whatever, right? <laughs> They're all somehow similar but different. Yeah. And uh, this is what lawyers love. They always find new vehicles so they can write, always explain what it is. Simple fact it's a debt instrument that you give to a startup, so you give a loan, mm -hmm. and then in the future it converts into equity based on certain criteria. Usually you have two. A valuation cap, so a maximum of a valuation mm -hmm. when the loan is being converted into shares, right? right? So easy calculation, or you get a discount, so whatever yeah. is lower. These are the usual terms that you find in a CLA yeah. uh, or convertible loan, and it's often used, especially in the early stage, uh, because you don't need to do a capital increase, you don't need to go to the notary and all those cumbersome processes, right? It's right, contract, CLA, here's the money, loan, yeah. go for it. But it's and also very risky. elegantly, no valuation. Of course, you have a cap, but no valuation to be set, which speeds up the process and yes, negotiations absolutely. tremendously. Uh, yeah. Putting the founder head again uh, from the founder side, it's super easy uh, because you just postpone the valuation. Exactly. So, uh, for example, if I just may, on our case, what we did in the first round and now also in the second round, we separated. Mm -hmm. We went first for a CLA and then we go for an equity round. Why? Yeah. Because in the CLA, we want to get in the smart money. So people that also help us push the business, bring in the knowledge, and mm -hmm. they should also be rewarded for it, right? So yeah. they get this cap, so the maximum valuation or the discount. Uh, it worked on the on our first uh, round, and this is how we also structured the second one. And yes, we don't need to talk about the valuation as such, but still, they ask of course. the cap, because the cap is then also the reference sure. for the equity run, right? Yeah. So how do you come to this cap, right? Um, and now, also in this industry we're in and the environment, uh, also on the CLA, it has become more challenging. Mm -hmm. And you said there are also risks associated with the convertible loan agreement. What, yeah. what are the risks? Well, uh, I mean, you just give a loan, right? I mean, yeah. uh, if the startup fails and usually nothing. you give it, you have nothing, you have absolutely nothing, right? I mean, even in the risk class, uh, if the, in the bankruptcy, right, you're in the last one. Sure. Um, so you don't have any shares, you have nothing in your hand, it's just yeah. a loan. Uh, and typically, they also have interests, mm -hmm. but also those interests are being converted. So it's you don't really get nothing out of it yeah. until it is really being converted. But you get lower valuation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you get more favorable terms than in the equity round. And then you're already, theoretically, right on books, you already made a plus. Yeah. There are three more I want to talk about. Yeah. One really crucial one to understand when you go into venture as an asset class mm -hmm. is liquidation preference. Yeah. What is it and how does it work? Okay, um, I'm going to give you the easy answer because sure. it is complex uh, and usually you find this in equity rounds uh, and you find this in the shareholder agreement and liquidation preference, put it easy, is there are certain investors that get the money first in case the company is being sold or in an exit. Yeah. So just imagine this, a startup, as we said, has different stages, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in every stage, people invest and then ideally get shares. Yeah. The person that follows always tries to negotiate better terms for him or herself. Yeah. And usually then liquidation preference come in, right? Yeah. They say, look, 
before you pay out the first one here, you pay out me. <laughs> yeah. And then usually you have a multiple. So you pay out the minimum investment I did, mm -hmm. multiplied by three, and then only the rest is allowed to become uh, to receive the funds. Yeah. And now this is really one of the most important things to look in those startups, right? Uh, uh, investment. It's all those tricky things. Mm -hmm. Because imagine you're in the late stage. You start in the beginning. Yeah. Then the later comes, I don't know, this super big VC, uh, gives himself a liquidation preference, multiplied four times. <laughs> then you have another one, three times, two times. Then you read, oh, this startup has done like a two billion exit. Mm -hmm. And you're the last one here. And then you say, shit, there's no money left. Everybody took it in front of me. Right. Right. Founder so, built a hugely successful company, but end up with nothing. And ends up not because founders yeah. are here. Exactly. So in the in the chain, Last. right, is in the beginning. Yeah. And if you don't really are careful as a founder, really, you, theoretically, you can lose the, uh, your company, right? And you build uh, something up and in the end, yeah. you're not getting rewarded for it. Yeah. And as an investor, if you don't take care in looking exactly at those specific terms, yeah. uh, they're easy understandable, right? Mm -hmm. Once you understood them, but you need to understand them because otherwise you might invest in something and in the end, you don't even see exactly. anything out of it. Yeah. But that's great to know as an investor, because that's where you will have negotiations about. Yeah. What I consider fair from the outside perspective, I understand why liquidation preference exists. Yeah. I think a 1x liquidation preference is fair to give the investors the money back first, because they give you the money, you work, you get shares to work in the company, maybe you also invested a bit, mm -hmm. but nothing above 1.0, especially for early stage. But that's my yeah. take. Uh, look, uh, I'm a founder. I would uh, sign this, uh, but also nowadays, right? Yeah. The, the environment is harder. Now, of course, the, the market is on the investor side. They yeah. de they determine the pre the, right. the terms at the moment, right? Yeah. So if they say, "Look, I give you money, but I want a two x," what do you do? Sure. Do you take the money? Do you go again for fundraising? The more yeah. you're in the fundraising, right? You cannot work on your operating companies, or you're not yeah. driving the value. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Investors they want to give you money to drive the value, but simultaneously they then also negotiate those terms then you know you just say the simplest one then you have participating non-participating right. liquidation and then it yeah. becomes complex right and you need to understand those terms as a founder mm -hmm. to maybe not get tricked into deals that you don't want yeah. right or terms but also as an investor right? sure. you need to understand or again have a community that understands it yeah. in the end it's de-risking your investment yes. from an investor's perspective yeah. The second, or no, the third, sorry, mm -hmm. I want to talk about is drag along and tag along. Oh, God. We hear about that often, but what is it actually? And why is it relevant for investors? Um, so um, maybe the tag along, uh, which is easier, right? Uh, it's a minority protection uh, mm -hmm. that you have. Um, simply put uh, on paper is if a certain th threshold, which is defined in the shareholder agreement, right? Uh, is being sold. So the certain threshold of the company, mm -hmm. uh, of the shares is being sold. You as a minority are allowed to sell with, yeah. right? Uh, on the other side, whoever buys needs to buy. Right? Yeah. And uh, that is important, right? Because if you're uh, an early stage yep. investor, you usually have a very small stake in yep. the company. Yep. And if the company gets sold, you don't want them to take over the majority of the company and just let you as investors yep. sit on worthless shares that don't yes. get a liquidation event. That would be the worst case scenario. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And this is exactly why this clause exists. Also there with thousand exemptions, how you can write, but the easy explanation yeah. is that one. Uh, and the other one is just the opposite, uh, yeah. right? Uh, it's 
if uh, what was a, where we're tag along uh, okay. and the drag along is if somebody sells a certain amount of shares, right, that you need to drag along, you yeah. need to put your shares, so you cannot block an exit uh, or those kind of things. So it's more also from a protection from a founder perspective, right. and maybe also from majority stakeholders that you know those small investors cannot just stop any uh, transaction. Yeah. It's actually cool. Your legal knowledge and background comp compared with the, or combined with the founder knowledge, yeah. it's actually fun to talk about these topics, you know? It, it makes fun, right, <laughs> to talk about legal. Um, inside our uh, startup at Leva, um, I trained like all those techies uh, to legal expert, uh, experts, right? And it's just how you translate legal to people that have not studied law. Mm -hmm. And this is often what lawyers forget, right? You don't have people that have studied law on the other side and you should not take advantage out of it because you can explain all those terms in an easy way. Yeah. You need don't need to go logging those legal jargons that nobody understands. Yeah. And it makes life easier of an investor when he knows what he does. Mm -hmm. It makes the life easier of a founder when they know what they do, right? Uh, and the whole ecosystem, if they just understand what they do, of right? Course. And legal is not difficult to understand, right? If you not become lawyer, mm -hmm. um, then uh, it's the best way uh, to do it, in my opinion. I like that. So now we talked about some legal jargon that yeah. might come up when you invest in startups, most certainly. But now the most important question. So I say, cool, I understand mm -hmm. venture capital is an asset class, but now I really want to get started. I want to do my first few investments. The biggest question here, the biggest challenge is, how do I actually get access to deal flow? This is tricky. It is. Um, I guess this is the most difficult part is a good access of good deal flow because you get access to deal flow <laughs> but a good yeah. deal flow this is the tricky part yep. um, so this is definitely one and then also maybe uh, investors uh, that you want to join uh, the group with mm -hmm. um, maybe the usual things uh, go to events uh, startup events mm -hmm. uh, there's now one cool at uh, St. Gallen the Start Summit which is led by students uh, just a thing I love I was at uh, the International Students Committee running the St. Gallen Symposium I just love things that are run by students right Super cool. uh, so currently happening in St. Gallen um, join there and you're going to meet a lot of startups mm -hmm. uh, which is in the end a deal flow right because every startup is raising always funds somehow nice. uh, then you can go to accelerator uh, events uh, networking events then you can go on crowdfunding platform theoretically uh, where maybe you start to get a touch and feel of what uh, a startup is or you can also join groups right mm -hmm. they are focused on investing into startup right syndicates for example investment clubs uh, clubs in general whatever terms they all use right. uh, where you join a group of like-minded people that one of them might have a deal flow Mm -hmm. right and shares it with you and i guess to start it this is one of the best example is those syndicates right that are popping up uh, yeah. left and right and are really just taking advantage of the swarm knowledge they do the deal flow mm -hmm. uh, they share the deal flow they select some deals and then present it right and then it's up on you to decide if you want to participate or not exactly so yeah there are many different ways to get involved yeah. maybe just to, to, to understand that a bit better, you know, I can directly invest into a company, yep. usually probably with higher tickets because yep. the companies don't want to mess up their cap table, yep. but I can also invest through a syndicate. So what is the difference there if I invest directly as a private person or through my own company versus through a syndicate? 
So if you invest directly, as you just said, right, you, you buy the shares directly in the company, you have your saying in the company, depending how big your stake is that you buy, you may you get a board seat, mm -hmm. uh, but also you influence decision on a strategic level when there are general assemblies. Uh, but usually a high ticket is needed, right? Plus you need to know which startup we're raising. Now, if you start with it, if I just follow a bit the history, uh, what we discuss, so you don't know what to do, right? Mm -hmm. uh, then it's usually joining a syndicate or investment club. And what does this mean is that usually how those syndicates are structured is that somebody is representing the syndicate and mm -hmm. is doing the legal uh, heavy load, right? Discussing the terms, negotiating. Right. And then on your side, right? An investment vehicle or investment structure is mm -hmm. being put in place and you participate in that one. So yeah. this is maybe a good thing to also separate, right? If you invest directly or indirectly, if you invest indirectly, you don't own directly the shares of the company. Um, so these are the main two differences. Yeah. Uh, then again, depending on how this investment vehicle is structured, sure. you have again shares or not, right? Yeah. Um, but this is the two differences. And what would you say are the benefits of investing through a syndicate? Um, I mean, there are tons of it, uh, and I want just to follow the story uh, mm -hmm. that we are uh, in here. So diversification of your portfolio, for example, right? right? You, you start uh, in the investments in case of a startup, uh, you join a syndicate that, for example, presents uh, monthly or bi-monthly deals. Mm -hmm. um, usually syndicates, they take on an allocation. Right. In a startup, let's make an example. There's a startup raising two million and says, look, the minimum ticket is one million. Okay. So, you know, two entries in the capital. This is <laughs> what they want. Yeah. So, who has one million? Some no. people. Some but people not have, the but that's not the majority, right? How many people have one million to invest? Even less. Yeah. Plus, you should not invest all your money in one gold. So, what usually then uh, happens is somebody takes this allocation mm -hmm. and breaks it down to a syndicate, right? So breaks down the minimum ticket, mm -hmm. takes maybe the allocation, does two syndicates, three syndicates, right? With different right. allocation because maybe you're uh, facing different people. So benefit is you have definitely a lower minimum ticket you can invest, right? That you have a diversified portfolio of investment. You have mm -hmm. knowledge, share. Um, uh, shared knowledge, right? Uh, this is the right term. Um, with people leading, uh, for example, the syndicate, they do a deal valuation, right? They mm -hmm. they talk to the founders, they talk uh, to the startups, to the team. So you're not so blindfolded. Yeah. Uh, plus, um, if we go across assets, then, right, you can start mixing up your portfolio without going too much into the risky uh, fields mm -hmm. uh, because you keep your minimum uh, tickets low. And then, obviously, depending on which community you're in, uh, you're more successful than the other ones. Um, but uh, that would definitely be the advantage uh, that pops up uh, right in my mind. And who are usually the, the people who use or invest in syndicates? Is this like the, the small private investor or is that also like big VC funds or pension funds or who actually uses syndication? So um, I don't know exactly the year, but I mean, syndicating, this was done back in the medieval time, right? right. Um, so it was always a type of a sort to invest. And what does, what does a syndicate mean and not like the criminal things, right? Is people coming together with the same purpose, right? And yeah. doing something. Now, in mm -hmm. this case, an investment syndicate is investing into something where they have a shared belief that this is a good idea. Yeah. So it's being used for business angels, private individuals, students, 
PE firms, VC firms, investment bankers, family office, they all syndicate, banks syndicate loans together, right? Uh, so there are a lot of players that syndicate. Mm -hmm. And uh, recently, I would say the last five, yeah, maybe five to 10 years, it started more in the US, right? This syndicating into startups, right, has become this flourish uh, topic, right? And um, uh, now we have seen this also in Europe and Switzerland, mm -hmm. it's getting started. Um, and there you just have the benefit, right, that you're just not by yourself, right? Uh, you join this community, you take the decision still by yourself, right, yeah. uh, if you want to invest, but you're not alone. And uh, this is definitely uh, a plus. I, I like that because it sort of lowers the entry barriers to a certain degree that, you know, we saw in 2022, there were almost 4 billion invested in Swiss startups. Mm -hmm. But that way you sort of see how you can grow the pie bigger for the ecosystem that more people who otherwise would not have access or who wouldn't meet the minimum ticket size of the company can now also invest in startups. So this is a great way to grow the pie and to have more money flowing into Swiss startups. Absolutely, because you, you untap a whole market that has yet not deployed the funds, right? Yeah. So you give this fund to the ecosystem, and this is a huge benefit for the whole ecosystem, right? Every founder applauds and says, thanks you very much. But also, depending on the country you're in, right? You want to boost your technology, your, your new development. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be stuck in the sectors you've been there for centuries. Yeah. So absolutely, uh, this is a huge advantage. Plus, you empower the individuals in taking control of their financial situation. Plus, if it's in a community, you empower the communities. And this is what I love about those syndicates. It's just you, you give back the power to the people, yeah. right? Uh, because syndicates nowadays, they can work like VC firms, right? Mm -hmm. You can really flourish a syndicate to a VC firm if you want. Right. And you don't need to rely on people that you don't know, right? I mean, Cosimo, my girlfriend, I know them since 15 years. In our circle, we have six friends from the uh, uh, Husky mm -hmm. uh, that all started a startup. We know if a startup is being pushed out of the Husky of EPFL, ETA, before any VC knows it, right? Yeah. You have uh, great access. I mean, let me make this example. Your listeners, right? Your listener is your community or a Swisspreneur's community. This can become a syndicate or being a father. I mean, just imagine all this. This is the nice thing. Uh, and this is why I would not limit it who can use the syndicate or not. Sure. It's like everyone can use it, but it definitely benefits those that have yet not invested in those asset classes. Fully. And if you look into the future, what sort of trends or development do you see? Where are we headed with the venture or startup investing in Switzerland? I mean, we're nowhere, right? Uh, again, if you just look at the number, the, the numbers will just increase. If you'd looked at uh, the, fun, the funds that will be deployed, right? Mm -hmm. You would think, how many startups? That I, who, who's going to work in corporate if all those funds are being deployed, right? Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, so definitely what I think is happening is more entrepreneurship, right? Which is a good thing. Switzerland was always an entrepreneurial country. And we, mm -hmm. I think we are the country with the most Kaimus uh, around the world, right? So this density. Um, this is something definitely what I see in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, from an investor side, uh, it's obviously getting access uh, mm -hmm. to those uh, alternative assets, but also ways that facilitate to invest either directly, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you have all those tokenized uh, movements out there, right? Uh, but... Again, technology that you might not understand, but what is happening now also is 
the facilitation, right, of setting up syndicates, of mm -hmm. running syndicates, of running a fund, right, you get really, you lower the barrier to go into that direction. And I think this is a huge benefit for the whole ecosystem if all those swarm knowledge and swarm funds, right, come together. Yeah. So you predict that there's more funds being deployed in venture as an asset class. Yeah, absolutely. What role do pension funds play in that regard? Because there, especially in Switzerland, we see huge potential that is not yet really leveraged and deployed into venture. Um, absolutely. I think it was last year uh, or this year. We're already in March, so yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> usual, a usual times. context of founders. They don't even know in which uh, exactly. day they are, right? Uh, I think it was last year uh, when um, the government decided that pension uh, funds or pension schemes are allowed to invest a portion of the assets that they uh, manage into startups or in the startup mm -hmm. ecosystem. I think it's 5%, 4%, something like this. Not much, but if you think how much the pension scheme are sitting on is a lot. Yeah. Um, I hope, right, that they also take this opportunity and do it, right? Uh, I mean, you have seen, you can invest in Credit Suisse, it can go bankrupt in a, in two weeks. Uh, yeah. if, or you compare it six years ago, 80 Swiss francs, now almost nothing. Same as a startup, right? So sure. why don't take this faith leap and this jump in providing also the funds to this ecosystem? Because put Switzerland on the table and compare it with Europe and the US, then we're absolutely nowhere. Yeah. Right. And this is also something we should be clear of. Right. We always say Switzerland is a great country in the funding and everything. Yes. But if you just look at the values and not the per capita and everything. Mm -hmm. Right. It's really we're li listening to other founders. They always compete cross border. They of don't course. compete in Switzerland. Right. So we have a wealthy country. Right. We are sitting on funds in the pension, but mm -hmm. also uh, in your own pockets uh, as a company. There are a lot of corporate ventures also now emerging uh, that bring in new funds syndicates right are emerging people that come together and instead of i don't know spending the funds by itself they group the funds and invest uh and this is what will boost uh the ecosystem in switzerland uh so this is the funding part uh, absolutely and sometimes then, we are a bit too comfortable in switzerland right oh yeah 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 um uh, as an investor yeah also. uh we're uh, very comfortable because we expect the startup at seed stage already to be the super profitable company <laughs> right uh, we they always forget venture capital they forget the two words the capital right. so you need to fund and venture right uh, translate in german is wagnis it is still venture right so you yeah. you cannot have all the safety nets that you want right you need yeah. also to, to to trust your gut feeling and the art of the valuation and invest um, and in the end, uh, this is, you need just to take the whole pie, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, look, how can you make it more efficient? And on the founder side, it's, yeah, you know, you, you can have the nine to 10, nine to 12, nine to 13, mm -hmm. uh, but it comes down while you maybe do nine to five, you have in Asia, people running uh, startups that do nine to nine. Right. right. Uh, so it's 24 hours. I'm exaggerating. And on your side, uh, you have maybe six, seven, eight hours. Right. I mean, they will just produce more. Right. Um, not saying better, but more. Uh, so we just also should get out of this comfort chair and say, OK, we're living in this uh, wealthy country. Yes. Mm -hmm. But how did it become so wealthy? Right. As I said, we're an entrepreneurial country. Uh, so uh, and they were not there sitting just okay let's uh, let's wait until the rain is coming with them off with the funds and with new ideas no they were pushing forward they're pushing boundaries yeah. and this is what switzerland was always uh, proud of 
Um, so we should definitely learn a certain amount of humbleness. Uh, that is definitely a good thing. Uh, I like that, but also think bigger and be more ambitious and yeah. get out there and make the pie bigger. Yeah. There's still so much work to do and we shouldn't be happy with where we are, but push harder and go further. Yes, I, this catchphrase uh, to work with each other, right? I hear this at every startup conference. All right, we need to work together mm. and we need to make the buy bigger, right? Yeah. And then the conference is over. <laughs> Nobody wants to work with each other. Yeah, right? Everybody gotta, is building its own cake, right? Yeah. Uh, because, oh no, wait, wait a second. Uh, you have this idea. No, you could steal my idea, right? Yeah. Look over the sea in the US. Yeah. They collaborate. They start, even competing start, collaborate sure. on the board level, right? They talk with each other. What yeah. kind of a problem do you have? How did you solve this? Okay, let's solve it like this. In Switzerland, we always think, let's make first the small pie big, right? And then think about how to make the money of it. And instead of really just looking at the ecosystem of Switzerland, mm -hmm. make the pie big on the founder side, right? By being it, uh, going up for startups, a lot of startups, but all from the investor side, right? Yeah. Just make the pie big. Because yeah. if the startup that you're backing, right, or has been valid and you're backing and is going for a unicorn, there will be tons of money to make out of it, right? Yeah. But I said in the beginning, pushing or investing to startup your first motivation should not be making a lot of money out of it right um it sh obviously it comes with it right uh but just bring this ecosystem to a level that mm -hmm. also really is also able to compete with the others and uh, there was really a shout out to all founders and investors to really take this not as a catchphrase yeah let's work together and then nothing happens right there are a lot of initiatives happening uh but i think there can be even more absolutely so philip to wrap up the conversation yes. today we have some rapid fire questions <laughs> for you i give you a short question or different options to choose from you have to answer in one sentence in one sentence you're okay. ready yeah what's a huge investment red flag a company with uh high burn rate and zero plan on how to become profitable. Yeah. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? <laughs> uh, let me calculate. Um, I usually go to bed at midnight, uh, wake up at 4.35, so uh, four and a half hours plus. Wow, that's not a lot. Does entrepreneurship make you happy? One sentence, yes. It makes me happy, uh, even also the lows Mm -hmm. I will find ways also in the lows to find positive thought. And it's always the lows is you learn. You enjoy the ride. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy the roller coaster ride, even though I'm scared. <laughs> Founder or investor? Founder. Describe the future of Leva in one word instead of one sentence. Even harder. Exciting. Cool. Philip, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you had a really busy day. You were all day at Start Summit. But here we are, 10, 10 p.m., recording this session. So thank you so much for stopping by and for being here and for sharing all your knowledge and insights. And again, no investment advice, just information purposes. Philip, thank you for being here and all the best for the future. Thanks, uh, Silvan, and also to the whole Swisspreneur group uh, for inviting me, also representing Leva here uh, in your podcast. You're doing a fantastic job with it. This is what I mean, right? Empowering communities through listeners, through voices, uh, this is exactly what Switzerland needs. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. 
If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs. 